lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Happy Thursday to all of you. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me, as are all of you, at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. You can also email the program. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And then check out our brand new YouTube channel, where there's freebies posted every day at YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up here on a Thursday, Theology Thursday, here at the bottom of the hour. We'll have, we'll have a special guest for that. You don't want to miss it. Also, three non-political questions next hour. Plus, it just so happens that Todd and Aaron, the two of you, are each the number one, you, you each represent, the number one must-reach voter for Donald Trump in the next what is it now, 68, 69 days until the election? Yep. What do I mean by that? You're both white college graduates. All right? That is the number one gap that Donald Trump has to narrow internally in the electorate between now and then. He is going to dominate white non-college graduates. But he has got to narrow the gap among white college graduates. You both fit that bill. You're both also um, suburban or exurbanites. That's, you know, another core demographic. And and frankly, there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, there, there's a lot of layover between white college graduates and suburban and exurbanites. A lot of times they're one and the same person. And finally, you both did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So if I were putting together a focus group for a campaign, and I've done that in my past, I'd absolutely want you two on it. Because you're checking three boxes that if Donald Trump's my candidate, he's got to, he, if he can't turn you out, he cannot win. If people like you do not vote for him, he cannot win. White college graduates, suburbanites, exurbanites, and then you didn't vote for Trump in 2016. He has got to win you over in 2020 to win. So I thought what could be fun is since the president is going to give his convention nomination acceptance speech tonight on the final night of the Republican National Convention, I thought it might be fun to sit down with the two of you for a few minutes next hour. What do you want to hear What do you want to see? What do you want the president to touch on? And just conduct a little ad hoc focus group with the two of you where pretend I'm with the Trump campaign. I'll ask a few questions, but none of them are leading because I I need to know what you think. If I, you know, I, I, well, let me put it this way. If I want to run a good focus group, they're not leading questions. (laughs) All right. If my boss only wants to be told a certain thing is true, as opposed to I need to know what the truth is, then I'm going to ask very leading questions, but I don't work like that. I, I want to know what you really think. So I'm going to ask open-ended questions, and then I'm just going to sit back, listen, and roll tape and play back for my candidate. Hey, here's what they're saying. Sound like fun? Okay. And we'll do that next hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by Hurricane Laura. Laura pounded into the Lake Charles region of Louisiana last night as a Category 4 storm. It's now weakened into a Category 2 as it moves further inland. A storm surge as high as 9 feet is expected in some parts of Louisiana. Preliminary estimates as to its impact show widespread damage in the downtown area of Lake Charles. No injuries or deaths have yet been reported. Last night, rioters once again took to the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, claiming to protest against a police shooting of Jacob Blake. We're learning more about Blake, who was shot seven times in the black by the police after they pulled him over after a reported domestic dispute where he stole the car keys from a woman who then called the police. Police in Kenosha say Blake also had a knife in his car when he was shot, but don't know if the responding officers knew about that weapon. After Tuesday night's riots turned deadly, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers finally accepted President Trump's offer to supply the city with over 900 National Guardsmen and 200 federal law enforcement officers to work with authorities in the city to quell the violence. CNN finally decided to show up in Kenosha last night, and the Chiron they used at one point during their coverage is one for the ages. A second night since Jacob Blake was seen shot in the back seven times by a police officer. And For those of you listening, what we're watching is CNN reporter Oscar Jimenez reporting from the scene of a fire lit by the rioters with a Chiron reading, fiery but mostly peaceful protests after police shooting. The identities of two rioters killed in Kenosha overnight Tuesday were released. One of them, Joseph Rosenbaum, a convicted sex offender, was spotted on camera saying this earlier in the evening on Tuesday before he was shot. Yesterday, the National Basketball Association had all of its scheduled games quote-unquote boycotted to protest the police shooting led by the Milwaukee Bucks. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. No team forfeited any of their games and they'll likely be made up at some point because it's the playoffs. So the players essentially just gave themselves the day off. Riots and looted erupted yet again in Minneapolis last night after a murder suspect shot and killed himself on a sidewalk in Minneapolis. Rumors quickly spread that the man was unarmed and shot by the police. Don Lemon, your thoughts? Guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. Highlights from another night of the Republican National Convention, starting with Vice President Mike Pence. But rioting and looting is not peaceful protest. Tearing down statues is not free speech. And those who do so will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Utah congressional candidate Burgess Owens. This November, we have an opportunity to reject the mob mentality and once again be the America that my great-great-grandfather believed in. North Carolina congressional candidate Madison Cawthorn. I say to Americans who love our country, young and old, be a radical for freedom. Be a radical for liberty. And be a radical for our republic, for which I stand. One nation under God, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, and may God bless America. Sister Deidre Byrne of the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts. President Trump has earned the support of America's pro-life community. Moreover, he has a nationwide of religious standing behind him. You'll find us here with our weapon of choice, the rosary. And college football coaching legend Lou Holtz. Nobody has been a stronger advocate for the unborn than President Trump. 
the Biden-Harris ticket, is the most radically pro-abortion campaign in history. They and other politicians are Catholics in name only and abandon innocent lives. President Trump protects those lives. Coronavirus news. Over the past week, cases of Wuhan coronavirus in the United States have fallen by 15 percent. Again, that's just in one week. That's according to data from the COVID tracking project. Sweden has discovered thousands of false positive COVID tests stemming from Chinese-made test kits. And finally, this headline from the Babylon Bee, Orcs march on Ministereth in mostly peaceful protest. And that's what happened while we were away. Oh, I missed that one. That is, uh, that's my love language right there. I like that one. Aaron's Montage is brought to you by Patriot Mobile. Uh, Sadly, America's students are caught up right now in the politics of coronavirus and their education hangs in the balance. So to support the next generation of freedom-loving Americans, Patriot Mobile is running a school days promotion until September 12th. Choose either a free phone or a free month of service when you switch to America's only pro-America and conservative cell phone carrier, Patriot Mobile. Plus, instead of charging you hidden fees and funding left-wing propaganda, Patriot Mobile will donate a portion of your bill to Students for Life instead. So you're going to get the same reliable nationwide service and support a company at the same time that shares your values and puts people before profits. Plus, switching is easy. Keep your phone number, bring your own phone, buy a new one, whichever you prefer. Just call 972-PATRIOT. Use the promo code STEVE to get this special school day's offer. At 972-PATRIOT, promo code STEVE, or just go to the website, patriotmobile.com slash STEVE. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve. In the overtime today, we're going to get into our collective thoughts on the Republican National Convention so far. Now, I have only in real time watched four minutes and 36 seconds of it. Um, But because I work in modern American media, don't let that stop me from commenting on it. Right, right, right. (laughs) The four minutes and 36 seconds I watched in real time was when Abby Johnson spoke. Um, But I have been following it closely, the reaction online seeing what clips go viral, et cetera. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little perplexed. In my career, this might be the longest running op- operation the Republican Party has ever engaged in that I can't find a way to be annoyed. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to do with that. Um, so, in fact, there's been a lot of people that have said things that I'm like, you know, if I was running this convention, that's kind of what I'd have speakers say. So I'm a little, um, I'm a little perplexed. Not gonna lie. And you'll notice who like hasn't been speaking at all. Like none of the congressional leadership has. That's step one to a successful Republican convention. <laughs> You're laughing. Have you been elected to Congress? Yes. Well, you you don't belong no, you, here. You, no. Are you in any, are you in GOP leadership? Then uh, no, you absolutely can't speak. No, no, because we're trying to actually win this thing. All right. Uh, so we'll get into that in the overtime today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can go to make sure that you don't miss it and get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV. That's BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Or if you're already a Blaze TV subscriber, that's also where you can go later today to watch it for yourself. All right, let's get into the montage. I, 
quickly on the, 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 the latest trends again with coronavirus. The virus is in retreat in America, guys. It's in full retreat. 15% drop in cases at the rate we're testing is ginormous, folks. Ginormous. And when you're reading stuff like um, 800 positives at the University of Alabama. Well, Steve, it was 560. Actually, they had 310 before. So they've had 870 positives at Alabama since the students came back. However, the total student and faculty population at the University of Alabama is 45,000. So that's 1.9%. That's really nothing, frankly. But you're seeing the virus is in retreat. We've had five consecutive weeks with lower cases than the week before, and now a 15% drop in cases. And Aaron, you were pointing out, what's going on right now all over America while we're seeing this drop in cases? What's what, going on? What you just pointed out, we're sending kids back to campus, yeah. sending kids back to school. That's right, Mike. You know, our kid's back at Des Moines Christian, our son is. So I go back to what I said the other day on this show. It's, it's right now a hypothesis, but I'm confident. Like the first hypothesis I, I offered back in March that the virus was here a lot longer than we ever thought has confirmed to be true. I am confident this one will be confirmed as well. If we had never done these lockdowns, we would have been on an epidemiological curve very similar to the first SARS. This thing would be gone for all intents and purposes by the end of the, by the, end of the summer, just like the first SARS. But we took the healthy immune systems off the board, so we're weeks, months behind where we were 17 years ago against the virus. And I offer up as my control group to affirm my hypothesis for further investigation as a theory, Sweden, which now is calling BS on China's PCR testing because they're finding, quote, thousands, unquote, of false positives. Folks, last weekend, the National Football League, which probably has as good of healthcare available as there is in the private sector in this country, had 77 false positives. 77. 77 false positives. In the NFL, if they're getting that many false positives with perhaps the best healthcare in the private sector, what about the rest of the wee schmucks that get in the run-of-the-mill healthcare? How many false positives do you think are in those 5.7 million cases? Something to think about. But that's, that's kind of where I want to go as a segue since I, I brought up the NFL. Let's segue to another sport. I'm going to do something I know annoys some of you. I think it might even annoy you guys. But I, I can't help myself. I... When there's something broken in front of me and I know how to fix it, I have to. I just have to do it. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't want it to be fixed, there, I have a compulsion. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm a fixer. Okay, I, I, I have to. I have to fix it. I'm not annoyed. Your compulsions fascinate me. All right. But I just feel like I need to step in right now and save the NBA from itself. Okay? And on this topic, I'm a bit of a subject matter expert. My name's Steve Dace. I was a strategist with the Ted Cruz presidential campaign. And if there's one thing I learned in that experience, 
It's how to get your ass kicked by Donald Trump. All right? Learned that one. Learned it well. Okay? Learned it. The hard way, too. One whelp at a time. (laughs) All right? If I learned anything on that campaign, it's how to get your ass beat by Trump. I learned that. Okay? Let me give you an example. Illinois primary, about a day or two away. Man, Chris Wilson's telling us our polling in Illinois is looking good. We can pull this one out. Get a big win over Trump. And then, do you guys remember Trump held a rally? It was somewhere in suburban Chicago, if I recall. And kind of the proto version of Black Lives Matters shows up to protest him. Or maybe it was even them at the time. I don't remember. Do you guys remember this? Mm, and there was, there was like a mini riot outside of the rally and Trump supporters started clashing with the protesters and the police get involved. Do you guys remember this? Happened on, oh, I happened on a Friday night. I, I think that primary was even on a Saturday, if I remember. But it happened on a Friday night. I remember sitting home, monitoring the situation for the campaign, watching it play out. And I remember thinking at the time, this is just further proof that Trump would be a terrible standard bearer for us. He just instigates this stuff, provokes it. And people hate this stuff. And that was the message we took as a campaign. I'm going to pause for a Marco Rubio drink here. You guys ever heard the expression, read the room? You ever heard that expression? Of course. Yeah. Self-awareness, maybe. You've spent a lot of time the last few years on this show calling for a return to it, right? We have. Yeah. So that was the wrong message. Um, We took the wrong position on that and got mauled. Mauled. So our polling just collapsed, basically. We got mauled. Because... I don't know how we missed this, but we did. We did. Uh, It turns out that Republican base voters were actually angrier at the rioters than the people standing up to them and defending them. I will admit I've had better moments as an analyst. I've had better moments. I will admit that's that's not going to be on my highlight tape for my next gig misread the Illinois primary terribly. Not going to include that, okay? I've never even talked about that, I don't think, publicly until now. I'm only bringing it up to demonstrate (laughs) my credentials are proven. I know how to get my ass beat by Donald Trump. Seconded? Sure. (laughs) Sure. I don't think it's disputable at this point, right? Okay. These are some interesting rabbit holes in 2020. And and so I'm I'm bringing this up um, because I'm watching the NBA go right down the exact same road. Right down the exact same road. I, you know, I was looking at um, a tweet today from Jeff Goodman, one of the biggest basketball writers in the country, because there was a story out that Jared Kushner... Uh, the president's son-in-law uh, reached out to LeBron James. Um, hey, let's talk. Maybe we have some common ground. 
And Jeff Goodman, who's a, a, a big lefty sports writer, but I repeat myself, um, you know, did a role play of how he, how, how I can suspect that call will go. And LeBron will say, get the bleep out of here. And I'm just like, you don't learn nothing, do you? You just don't, do you? If there's two things we know about Donald Trump, it's that, number one, he struggles to keep people united on a purpose or message for a long period of time. And the reason why is because in in Trump world, unity comes when your self-interest aligns with mine. That's why he attracts this menagerie rogues gallery of Omarosa and Robert Jeffress. I mean, what do those two people have like in common, like on anything, on anything? That's how we get Anthony Scaramucci and um, pick 50 other people. <laughs> All right. The nun at the convention. The nun at the convention. Thank you. All right. How do we, how do we, how does these, how does he attract a group of people who really at any other time in their, in, in their lives or in American history would have nothing in common with each other other than a mutual attraction to or with Trump? Okay. It's because in Trump world, unity is achieved when your interests align with a self interest. And that's how he's law and order, lock him up, drop in the hammer, send it in the Marines, but then let's let all the drug dealers out with first step, right? That, how do we get here? How, how do you assert those things? Because both of those things at the time, he believed, served his self-interest. If you understand that Donald Trump is primarily driven by self-interest, and this isn't a criticism, it's an observation. We're all driven by some things. He's primarily driven by self-interest. That's why, that's why our base criticizing him works. Because he knows he needs you. He listens to you. If you're critical, schmoozing him doesn't get you anything. You got to show him you've got leverage. You'll walk away. Then you'll get stuff from him. Okay? And so when you're driven, there's, there's pluses and minuses to being driven primarily by self-interest. On one hand, it can make you very flexible in forging alliances with, other, with people that you typically might not have in common, right? Sure. When your alliances line up or your interests line up. On the other hand... It can make it very difficult to stay committed to a principle because ultimately the principle is your self-interest, okay? Just like if you're committed to a principle, it can make it difficult to forge factions if you're committed to principle because it's hard for people who don't share everything about your principles to feel like they can align with you, right? If I ever ran for office, that's the, that's the challenge that I would have. Make forging a campaign that would make you think, if you don't agree with me on everything, you could still find enough to support me. I'd have to, the challenge for me would be to fashion a message that would give myself accessibility if you only agree with me on five or seven of 10 things. You know what I'm saying? Yes. With Trump, it's the opposite challenge. Which leads to then the, the second thing we've learned. Because he struggles at A, he's really good at B. Nobody does divide and conquer better than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the Yoda at wedge issues. He is the one ring to rule them all. He's Roy Hobbs. One day you're to see him walking down the street and say, there goes Donald Trump, the best damn wedge issue candidate that ever lived. He's the best there ever was. The best there ever will be. And the best there is right now, you are not going to outwedge issue 
Donald Trump. If you are the NBA, do you understand you're helping him win the election? Right now, you're helping him. You're helping him. He doesn't want LeBron James to take the phone call from Jared Kushner. That's the reaction he wants. You're giving him what he wants. The ability to go out there and say, hey, man, these guys, I, I mean, can you just see it? He, you won't hear it tonight. I don't, because tonight I think they are, they are going to be on their best behavior with, on, and they've been on the, the money when it comes to messaging at this convention this week. So I don't think you'll hear it tonight. But when we get beyond tonight, we get back into more Trump off the cuff or maybe even Twitter tomorrow morning. <laughs> All right. You're going to hear stuff like, sad, NBA would rather chill for the Shycoms who sent us the Wuhan flu and wrecked our economy than talk to my son-in-law, Jared, about finding some common ground. Right? Yeah. You're going to hear, sad, multiple exclamation points. My son-in-law, Jared, can bring Israel and the United Arab Emirates to the bargaining table for the first time in human history, but can't get LeBron James to return it, multi-billionaire LeBron James to return his call, right? Yeah. And anyone who would ever think for three seconds about the possibility of voting for Donald Trump is going to stand and applaud that message. You're helping him. You're not, you're not, you're not defying anything. You're an in-kind contribution right now, guys. He's loving this. This is tell them sons of bitches to get up and, and stand for the anthem back in 2016. Oh, this is like this is like all of that at a buffet table. And he's like, I mean, I'm going to take some of that. I'll take some of those. Yeah, throw in. Some, I like that, too. In fact, I'm just going to sample the whole buffet, I think. I'm hungry. Can't get enough. If y'all want change... Now, maybe you don't want that. Maybe you just want social justice warrior ratios. You, got, you guys already have that. Because all you're really accomplishing right now is boosting Clay Travis's Twitter feed. That's all you're doing right now. I mean, the only people that are you're hurting if you, if you quit your season are the people most receptive to your message who are still watching. Everybody else offended by the fact you guys have politicized this sport to the hilt. You can't watch a game without their political messaging on every morsel of the court or their uniforms has already given up. They're not, they've already tuned you out. So you're only taking your product off the table of the people that already support the message. Why would you do that? I know what we should do, guys. Here's my master plan to get rid of Donald Trump. Less than, less than 70 days from the election on one of the largest platforms in America where I am permitted carte blanche, total political maneuvering and messaging of any narrative I want and will be applauded for it with, with, with absolutely no blowback. I want to beat Donald Trump so bad, I'm going to give that up. Come on, man. Man, I hate Trump. That's why I'm walking away from this stealth bomber with an unlimited amount of firepower and fuel. And I'm just going to retreat to my compound in Ohio. Really? That's the strategy? To just let Trump win by default? Okay. <laughs> All right. If you insist to hand Trump every talking point, 
I mean, he might as well just close it with a Denny Green. And these NBA players, they are who we thought they were. I, I mean, I, it's, it's mind-numbingly stupid. It's, it doesn't add to your cause at all. Dare I say it's the one whose dumbest last loses? I, I, I don't even know what to say, frankly. Except thank you. I want to thank you. I thought I had recommended one of the dumbest analytical strategies in recent political history in that Illinois primary. And I have been carrying that guilt silently for four years now. I want to thank you folks over at the National Basketball Association for absolving me. I just feel like Steve Young in that Super Bowl to Jerry Rice. Take that monkey off my, show, off my back. I can breathe the free air again. Wasn't me. No, I'm not, a, I'm not an answer to a Jeopardy question anymore. I'll take who, who, who offered the dumbest advice in going after Donald Trump in, his, in the history of, of politics, Alex. The answer used to be me or people and, and a few others. Not anymore. You guys, by all means, and you can have it, by all means. I'm finally rid of that guilt and shame. Thank you. So what does COVID-19 have to do with losing your home? Well, turns out it could be a lot. The FBI has reported that since the virus struck, cybercrime in America is up 75%. And it could get even worse when it comes to your home because the legal title to our homes are pretty much online now. And this crime is called home title theft. And it's growing all over the country because cyber thieves have discovered that's where our titles are at. So they hack in, forge your signature on a quit claim deed and refile as the new owner of your home. And then you're off your title. Uh, they destroy you by taking out loans against your home, stealing the cash, the equity, sticking you with the payments. You may not know about it until you get a late payment, maybe even a foreclosure notice. How do you prevent this from happening to you? Home title lock can help you prevent this from happening to you. Uh, they will put a virtual barrier around your most valuable ass asset, your own home. And if they detect any tampering, the instant they detect it, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you've already been a victim at HomeTitleLock.com. And then while you're there, Use the promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection. That's the promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. A topic you folks have asked us to address so many other times over the years on this show with Theology Thursday, and we have talked about it before, but it's rare that we get somebody who has lived these principles out and done so successfully at the rate of our guest here today. And he wrote about capitalism and the Bible recently for real, clear religion. And we want to welcome Wall Street success story, Charles Mizrahi here with us this week on Theology Thursday. Charles, it's good to have you with us, brother. How are you? Thank you. Thanks. Great to be here, Steve. Thank you for having me. You bet. Tell us why, first of all, you chose to address this topic. Well, Steve, I live in New York, and uh, New York has a pretty progressive mayor in the sense of Bill de Blasio, and I'm, I'm watching the city just fall to pieces. And it was just boiling my blood to hear so many, I really shouldn't say so many, a very, very vocal minority continue to chant that capitalism is the problem. 
And uh, it just it just boils my blood because capitalism is the solution. Uh, and these are coming from people who live in the most prosperous nation and the greatest nation that that God has ever put on the face of the earth. And it just got me crazy. So I, I sat down and I append an article of just my thoughts on this. And I'm saying you guys just missed the boat. A lot of the next generation is missing the boat, right? We're, we're seeing um, in, in a lot of uh, Judeo-Christian enclaves in the culture today, the next generation trying to fuse socialism, wokeism, leftism with religious orthodoxy and, and sort of a new syncretistic kind of uh, heterodoxy. So what is the next generation? What do they not know about capitalism? Because a lot of their education has told them it's inherently evil. Which is just absolutely shocking to me. Um, and it, it's really insane. If you think about it just for a moment, you have people living in the greatest country with the greatest standard of living with the, one of the longest life expectancies in history with uh, uh, people standing at our borders, taking rowboats, uh, risking life and limb to come and become citizens of this great nation. And the reason they're coming here is not because we are a socialist state, God forbid, or, or, or communist. We're here because it's America and America is known as a land of opportunity. Now, why they don't get it? Well, I guess this is the punishment we're seeing for so many years of neglecting our colleges and having so many liberal thoughts and, and points of view expressed. And every time a conservative voice was even brought up, uh, students would be outraged and the administration would fire that person. So there's always a price to pay. And I think we're seeing the price right now with uh, the youth just not getting the point. And it's so sad because not only what they're missing out, but what they're calling for. What they're calling for is destruction in a sense of capitalism. And these, most of them were never born when the, the communism fell. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. It subjugated its people and it killed close to 100 million people in the 20th century. We've talked about this, um, the, the, the biblical inspiration for capitalism on this show in several contexts in the past. You know, one of the parables of the New Testament that Christ tells is the parable of the talents and the, 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 the servant who takes what the master has invested in him and does nothing with it out of fear of failure is the one most harshly admonished in that parable. The one who takes what the master invested in him and capitalizes on that investment and grows it more, that's the one that is praised the most. We've talked about uh, the pilgrims when they came here. Uh, they read Acts 2 in the New Testament about the early church sharing everything in common and thought that that meant a, a, a public or governmental declaration of a proto version of socialism. And so they tried that the first winter at Plymouth Rock and half of them died. And the next year they realized, you know, the young guys really don't like their wives working for the other uh, clans. So we got to incentivize this work. And they told those families, hey, if you're going to now get land, not just based on a birthright, but on the performance of your yield, the more harvest you produce, therefore you have shown, because that's right out of the New Testament too, hey, you, you've been faithful in a lot, you're going to get even more, right? What I like about your piece is you take us back to the very beginning of Revelation, um, back We go back now to Abraham, back to Jacob, to Solomon, and you make some specific examples here of, of the, the notions that we call capitalism today, you can find even in the earliest parts of the Bible. Can you talk about that? Yeah. 
Uh, yes, I, I could only speak from uh, a Jewish perspective because I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm not as familiar, obviously, as you are with the New Testament. But uh, all one needs to do is look into the Jewish Bible and see that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon were all blessed with wealth. Now, wealth is not a curse, it's a blessing. However, there is a responsibility once one accumulates wealth. You don't get wealth based on your own merits, but basically it's considered a blessing from God in, in, uh, in um, Deuteronomy 8. It basically says when the people come to the land, the biggest concern that God has is you're gonna build homes, you're gonna be successful, and you're gonna say, it was me who did everything, but it was really God that did that. So the fear is when one becomes very wealthy, they're gonna forget where it came from. The, the Bible was was not only a, 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 an amazing revelation to the world, but what I find so astounding is that it understood the human character. In Deuteronomy 15, for example, the Bible basically says, and it understands there will always be economic inequality, there will always be poor people on the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So who's supposed to take care of them? Those who have, those who accumulate. Now, this doesn't mean a welfare state. This means to help the underbelly of society, those who are unfortunate for whatever reasons, specifically the widow, the orphan, and the resident alien, those that didn't have a social network, those that needed care and help. And the Bible instituted specific laws, especially in an agrarian society. For example, uh, agricultural laws. When one had a field in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, you had to leave the corners of the field. That portion of the crop was left for the poor. Um, gleanings. Uh, from the book of Ruth, for example, uh, Ruth goes to Boaz's field mm -hmm. and she gathers the gleanings that the reaper misses and falls to the floor. Who are they for? They're for the widow, the poor, and the orphan. And we see this on and on and on. Wealth, for its own sake, is not the desired goal, obviously. Wealth is for making your lives better, and more importantly, for making lives of people in society who need help a lot better. In a practical way, just kind of a exegetical application of what you just said. I, I was on a panel on MSNBC, well, this is probably about seven or eight years ago now, uh, on this panel, and the whole topic, and it was during the 2012 campaign, so eight years ago, and, mm -hmm. and the whole topic of the two candidates' um, economic plans, uh, Romney and Obama's, were, were being debated. And instead of getting into the weeds on policies, I asked the panel a very simple question. Um because I had to go last because I was the conservative on the panel. So everybody else got to talk first. And right. I said, you know, I'm listening to everybody on this panel talking about, you know, the number one goal in the next four years is we got to grow jobs. Okay. I'd like anybody on this panel right now, raise your hand if you've ever gotten a job from a poor person. Raise your hand right now. No one could raise their hands. I looked in the camera and I said, hey, anybody in the audience watching at home, raise your hand. If you got a job from a poor person, raise your hand. Because all my jobs came from rich people. So I don't understand where all these new jobs are going to come from if we are seeking to punitively punish and vilify the people that have been blessed to be successful enough to actually provide for them. That's kind of what you are, you're kind of putting a, an explicitly biblical um, explanation on, that that's the purpose 
That's what the purpose of this wealth is. Not for hoarding, not, uh, you know, for Abraham to go around and brag about, well, you know, I got a gold wagon. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, the point of it was to, to be able to bless other people with it. That's God blesses you to bless others, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think your answer uh, at the time was uh, was just excellent. I just want to add one point onto that, and then I want to address what you just mentioned, is when you see a business, uh, it's not always a wealthy person that does it. It's someone who had courage, someone who had confidence, and took the chance. Every time you see a business, a shoe store, uh, even a fruit stand, whatever it might be, or Amazon, it was usually one person or a group of people who risked it all and took took everything they had in order to gain opportunity. That's the whole point. And just as an aside for just a second, in 1994 or thereabouts, a guy left a hedge fund in New York where he wasn't as happy, drove with his wife clear across this country to Seattle. And as they were driving there, his wife was writing down the business plan. He started the business in his garage and Jeff Bezos now is worth close to 200 billion dollars, $200 billion. Now, the amazing thing about that is he created 1 million jobs. 1 million people wake up every morning and have dignity. A million people are able to feed their families, pay for their cars, pay for vacations, pay for their homes. The, The point is, is the rich people or I wouldn't say the rich people, the courageous people, those who seek opportunities and not guarantees, those are the ones that our society should be holding up and saying, wow. And and I, I just want to add one more point onto that. This country is the only country on earth that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And our founding fathers got that. And the American people got that. You know, you think after World War One, Europe laid in waste. Woodrow Wilson, the president of the time, sends Herbert Hoover over there. Herbert Hoover goes to Europe and creates a system to feed our enemies, in a sense, and those who opposed us, and takes care of feeding close to 15 million children and puts Europe back on its feet. They were starving. They were starving. Four years of war, devastation. What nation on earth goes and tries to help their enemy and feed them? And that wasn't enough. World War II, we did the same thing. The Marshall Plan, we went to Europe and we fed them and we built up their economies. And the American people are the most generous people on the face of the earth. They get it. They get the point. Uh, I think it was 400 or so billion dollars in 2017 was given to charitable organizations and individuals made up 70% of that giving. So uh, time and again, we see the American people are the most generous giving people on the planet. And number two, the person who starts a business, creates jobs, creates a society which is better, is not only blessed themselves, but they bless everyone around them. It, it, it's, it's, it's dropping a, a pebble into a pond. The ripples just go wider and wider. And the worker is worth his hire, worth his wage. You do the work, you put in the investment, you have earned the reward for that work. And that reward is obviously a blessing of prosperity, but with that also comes responsibility. And so those two things have to go together. Charles Mizrahi, hey, thanks for joining us today, Charles. Really interesting conversation, brother. God bless. Take care, okay? Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Well, we're back with the parable of the talents, which have come up several times in the last couple of weeks. But listen, your gifts are yours to use and they are yours because they are his first use them to glorify him 
the more the better. It's it it's it's right in there. As lo- you, you're not allowed to be a squatter on any of them. Other than that, though, there's there's no number that is too much. It it simply does not exist. Millions, billions, gazillions. As long as that is used to glorify God, and you can't glorify God without lifting up your fellow man, it, this isn't this isn't a complicated equation. And when we're whether we're talking about how capitalism, chair, you know, any anything under the sun as applies to the gifts of God, use them to glorify Him. Yeah, and I think something that bears repeating in this conversation again is that capitalism in and of itself is not inherently good because nothing devised by man east of Eden is inherently good. However, east of Eden, as far as economic matters go, capitalism is the best thing that we have that we have come up with and it is it is inherently uh, as as we just laid out over the last 20 minutes or so, it is it does have its roots um, biblically as well because the other systems of economies and I'm using air quotes when I when I talk about economies are not really economies they're just different sins with different names greed jealousy uh, those types of things that we t- talk about when it comes to socialism or or communism those are not really economic systems they're just different names for sin capitalism inherently with virtue, understanding that there is a higher calling than just making more coins and and making more widgets for more coins, that there is a mission behind the talents that God has given us, capitalism is by far the best thing east of Eden that we've come up from an, come up with and and been able to utilize from an economic standpoint. All the other uh, economies out there, again, just different names for for uh, sin. But I think you're going to have a very difficult time winning the argument for capitalism if we lose the human nature argument. Exactly. I mean, capitalism doesn't make, as Aaron pointed out, doesn't make a people virtuous. It acknowledges our lack of virtue and therefore attempts to incentivize us to do better than we would likely do on our own. That's the whole point. Okay. And, and so what happens though, when a culture loses its virtue, you start incentivizing things that are unvirtuous and, and that sets the stage for the argument, well, this is why we need more government. Because, as William Penn said, if men were angels, we wouldn't need government. And the worse men get, the more government we think we need, right? Mm-hmm. And then, But then the, but then you run into the problem, well, the, the people in the government who are calling the shots, are, are they any more virtuous than us? No, they have all the same human frailties we do with even more temptation. And that's now where we get to tyranny, right? So you can't, you cannot divorce capitalism from virtue. Put those things together, they will help us to rise above our human condition. But if you divorce one from the other, you kind of get what we're looking at right now. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace. Show parlor at Steve Dace. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. And what else? Oh, yeah. 
If you are a podcast listener, if you haven't done this yet, heck, even if you have, try it again. See if it works. But the more of those five-star reviews we get, they definitely help the show to grow. Thanks to all of you that have dropped one of those for us already. Keep dropping those if you don't mind. Also, keep hitting that subscribe button on the podcast, too. That's how you can help us help you. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to play our weekly game of three non-political questions. But let's get to what we're going to talk about here with a little, uh, I guess we'll call it a little ad hoc focus group brought to you by ScoreMaster. Did you know that the average American has 97 points that they can add to their credit score, but probably has no idea how to get those? ScoreMaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget about just raising your score a few points. The average ScoreMaster user can raise their score 61 points in 20 days or less. Why? Because it empowers you with the real knowledge of what makes up the score you have and how to improve it. And you get to see all of this in real time. I mean, the difference in having a credit score if you're in the high 500s or mid 600s, I mean, look at the difference in the interest rate on that car, the home, the payments that you would be uh, making compared to what you're making right now. Uh, not to mention if you own a business, uh, you know, having essential great credit, uh, that can be uh, as well. For From getting a loan to funding projects to financing equipment, ScoreMaster can help you, whether a business or an individual, and you can enroll in minutes to get control of your finances instead of the banks and see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score right now when you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. I've checked this uh, this client out quite a bit. This is a pretty cool product, all right? Scoremaster.com slash Steve. All right, so one of the things I've done in Another Life, brother, is focus grouping, all right? See what I dropped the least? Did you like to see yeah. that? All right. Uh, is focus grouping and- Were you as good at that as giving advice in a presidential election in Illinois? I, I just want to note, <laughs> I've given very, very good advice at other times. <laughs> That was not one of those times. And you said to me after that segment, I can't believe I haven't heard that story before. I don't know. I mean, are you anxious to go out and share with people? Guys, let me tell you about that time I completely face-planted, right? Do you lead with that on a first date? Well, you're not sure. Maybe that's about why Lindsey Graham's Tinder account sucks. This one must have really hit a nerve because, you know. I am ashamed. <laughs> yes, I, I am. I am ashamed. But thankfully... The NBA has absolved me of that shame, and they're now about to be even dumber than we were when it comes to uh, trying to out-wedge issue Donald Trump. It, it cannot be done. It can't be. Whenever there's a wedge issue, you're better off just jumping on board with Trump and say what he said. Yes, don't, don't try to outmaneuver Donald Trump on a wedge issue, right? You're better off standing or starting a land war in Asia. See, I just dropped another one, huh? That's two. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. So in another life, what I used to do is help out with things like focus groups. And you want to select people. Well, there's two kinds of candidates. There's the kind that just, you know, wants to hear what they want to hear. I probably wouldn't ever end up working or supporting that kind of candidate anyway. So I tended to work for the ones that wanted to know what was really going on. And then there were times that I did focus groups for the media. Uh, back in the 2012 Iowa caucuses, for example, I did a focus group, and I'm trying to remember who that was for. Who was it for? It was somebody on the left. I remember that. Daily Beast, somebody like that. I did a focus group for them. I put together a group of uncommitted Iowa caucus activists 
prior to the straw poll that year. And, and we just recorded it for an hour and um, just got their take on the candidates. So if you're doing that, you got to make sure you you have people, you don't, you don't want to taint the sample, right? So who's the target you're after? If, if I'm, if I'm on the Donald Trump reelection campaign and my internals show me currently bleeding with white college graduates, I know I'm in trouble. That I have to, I, maybe I, maybe I don't have to win them, but I, I cannot lose them by double digits to Joe Biden. I can't. And that kind of has a lot of crossover with suburban and exurban voters. We hear a lot about the battles in the suburbs. Well, what kind of voters typically live in the suburbs? White college graduates, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not every suburban voter. That's not every exurban voter. But is that going to be a lot of them? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of them. So chances are, if you hit suburban, exurban voters, you're hitting white college graduates. And if you hit white college graduates, you're hitting suburban, exurban voters at the same time. And then the third group, man, if I could get a group, a focus group together where people who have traditionally voted Republican but didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So if I were doing the Trump campaign, that's the focus group I'd want to do. White college graduates, suburbanites, exurbanites, and then people who have traditionally voted Republican but didn't vote for Trump in 2016. Now, they would be third on my list because there's the fewest amount of those. But I've got to get as many of those this time as I possibly can because I have to assume black turnout is going to be higher against me than it was in 2016 with all of the racialist and race baiting that's going on, right? I got to assume that, right? Doesn't mean that'll be what we see on November the 3rd, but I would be really bad at my job if I didn't assume that in my analysis and strategy, right? And so maybe I get 11 or 12 instead of 9% of those voters this time, but that's still going to be a lot more voters, right? You've heard me say before, it's not the size of the slice of the pie, it's the size of the pie, right? Hillary Clinton's percentage with black voters was not much different than what Barack Obama did in his two elections. Okay, um, she got the same slice of the pie, but the size of the pie that Barack Obama turned out was so much larger. So I got to compensate for that if I'm on the Trump campaign. And number way, number one way I'm going to compensate for that is white college graduates. I've got to make inroads there. Well, it just so happens that right here on our set, we have two voters who check all three of those boxes college graduates last i checked y'all white so white college grads aaron i know lives in a suburb because he lives across the street from me although we like are never never go to each other's places but that's the guy thing to do just yeah yeah, no idea um i mean he literally lives across the street i couldn't tell you what his place looks like (laughs) (laughs) um todd lives in an exurb And neither one of you voted for Donald Trump in 2016. So, I mean, this is, I mean, I'd like to have like seven or eight more of you in the room, obviously. But if we can only do two, you guys are going to check every box. I've got to get you to my candidate, Donald J. Trump, got to get both of you on November 3rd. If he doesn't get both of you everywhere in America, he ain't winning. So I definitely want to hear what you guys have to say, particularly today, because tonight the president is going to give the most important speech of his reelect campaign so far. 
It's when he will formally accept the nomination to be the Republican Party's presidential standard bearer once more in 2020. And since the campaign, how are it look? It's going to look different. You know, are we going to, we're not going to see daily rallies and events. So I don't, you know, who knows how different it will be. But that could also mean there aren't going to be as many organic opportunities to shift your momentum as there will be tonight. This also could very well be until we get to the debates, if we have them, and I have doubts we will. This could be, therefore, until late September, early October, the final chance Trump has to make an unfettered, untainted by media spin, direct appeal to the American voter and person. And so tonight, tonight can't be even a double in the gap. Tonight's got to be mic drop, walk off, home run. Got to be Mariano Rivera, man, coming out of the pen. And we're just throwing that cutter, and it's good night, drive home safely, one, two, three, ninth inning. That's what it's got to be tonight. So, gentlemen, for it to be that tonight, for Trump to get you guys off the fence, let me start with an open-ended question. In fact, if I'm doing my job running a focus group, they should almost all be open-ended questions. And they should only be direct questions if I'm directly responding to what you guys have said. And I want to follow up on that to to quantify it further. So let me ask a very basic open-ended question. What do you want to hear from Donald Trump tonight? And Aaron, you go first. So I'm coming at this from both a, a fusion of my perspective and with the understanding that my perspective, checking the boxes that you just detailed is probably going to be affected by the fact that I follow this world quite a bit close, uh, closer than, than most people who check the boxes that you just stipulated. And can we stipulate that? That, that our perspective is going to be a little bit different sure. per- personally. So having said that, um, I, I would like to hear first and fo- foremost, perhaps a little bit of self-awareness from Donald Trump. Even if it's something that I don't like, I I just need any excuse whatsoever (laughs) that I can glom on to to say, okay, that's put you over the top. I didn't want to vote for 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 Biden or the necromancers running the Biden campaign. I didn't want to vote for that. You just have to give me an excuse to vote for you, though, because otherwise I might just write in Kanye or my wife. So what does that sound like then? Um. It can sound like a number of things, but here's the main thing that I would like it to sound like. Uh, you may not like my persona. You may not like me. And heck, sometimes I've maybe given you an excuse not to and maybe a good excuse not to. Here's the thing, though. Are you making more money if you haven't lost your job? If you haven't lost your job, are you making more money, taking home more money than you were four years ago? All right. Uh, run and tell that homeboy. Uh, are, are the people who are rioting and looting in your neighborhoods right now, are they the ones most likely to vote for me? Uh, probably not. Run and tell that homeboy. Something like that, where it's some self-awareness. Hey, you may not like me, but at least I'm, I'm giving you some results. Some results to speak of. Something, something along those lines. 
And the reason why I'm prefacing it like this is because I feel like I'm asking for something that Donald Trump isn't or can't do. Because he, he's shown very little willingness to actually so, show some self-awareness in that setting. It, it is amazing, though. When he's doing one-on-one interviews with people he perceives to be friendly to him, he actually does show a little bit more self-awareness than when he's at the rallies, than when he's, he's speaking from a, 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 a platform like this. But I do want to hear a little bit of that. Doesn't have to be, that doesn't mean he's showing weakness, but just a little bit of, um, personally, may not like me, but I am not going, I'm not going, I, I'm not going to come after you. Like the necromancers running Joe Biden's campaign are actively encouraging or assenting to with his supporters. Something along those lines. Anything, anything showing a little bit of self awareness and just a, a something to give me an excuse. To vote for you can you do you view that as do you equate self-awareness with honesty yes okay and and so can you elaborate on why that is an important threshold i know it seems kind of silly can you elaborate on why <laughs> an honest po- you might want a politician to be honest with you before you vote for him right but we are talking about politicians yes so can you elaborate why of all the things you could have said about Donald Trump that you need to see and hear more than anything, why this was the one, given the various controversies and, 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 and such sur- that surround him, can you elaborate further on why this is fundamental for you? Because we're living in an age, especially this last year, but I, I think most people unless they're just not totally bought in, but most people who are in our positions who are even a little bit persuadable, who are a little bit, a little bit persuadable, have some, some priority they place on honesty, on what the truth is, and they don't want to be lied to. And so how do you think those people who maybe are not, are, are not following as closely as the three of us in this room all of the events of this year, how do you think they're navigating this? They're hearing so many different things about the virus. They're being told that they can't go to a wedding, they can't have their child's prom, they can't go on vacation this year because of a virus, but if you want to burn and loot and riot in a city, you can do that because fill in the blank. How do you think, how do you think they're feeling right now? Um, they, they just want somebody to tell them the truth. Even if they don't like what that truth is, even if they don't like, hey, I'm Donald Trump, um, my personality grates on you, but I'm not going to come after you. That would be a refreshing level of honesty in our, in our national discourse. Mm-hmm. Even that level, even that petty level, that would be a refreshing level of honesty that we have just not had for a while, especially not this year. Does it also feel like he is meeting you where you are at instead of rather than demanding yeah. that you meet him where he's willing to go exactly and so you feel empowered as a voter with that level of self-awareness yes because okay. unlike the nba apparently feels towards its fans that they are there for the players not the other way around right right uh, i want my employees to feel like they're here for me i'm not there for them okay all right so todd same to you What's your what's your top line you you want to hear from President Trump tonight? Well, he's already won on the optics of these conventions, but now I want him to explain why this was more than optics. That what we saw the last three days was what he meant by MAGA all along, and that he's going to see through to the very 
very end. I, I don't want him to talk about himself. I want him to be self-aware in the extent that he knows exactly what happened the last three days, why these people were involved, because they are the best of America. And he knows by setting them up against what's going on right now uh, in from Portland to Kenosha in these inner cities that Americans out there, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, uh, whether they have had problems with Donald Trump in the past, they resonate far more with the stories that were told by brown, black, white, male, female, young, old, religious, otherwise. The, the, the best of America, making America great again, can only come from the stories that were in the RNC and simply cannot come out of the stories of the DNC. It's existential. The people he chose understand it, and he's happy to stay in that post on behalf of them. It's about you. It's your country, and I'm here to defend it on your behalf. It's, so does that mean you want to see him cast a broader vision for the country more than check off items of why he is deserving of, of being oh, yes. reelected? Oh, yes. And I believe he's capable of that. I believe that's within him and because his speechwriters, at the very least, have shown that he's done that before. The, his uh, July uh, 4th speech right. uh, and others of okay. recent vintage uh, with the last State of the Union, if memory serves, that, that would be the one, uh, yeah. which was also excellent. Uh, they're capable of doing that. Do So in a way, you kind of sound like you want to see him fulfill. Is, was it Charlie Kirk who said yesterday or earlier this week? That he viewed Donald Trump as the uh, the bodyguard of Western civilization or yes. something along those lines. That it sounds like you want to hear something. Of you want to hear him well, illustrate that as a framework. The context of just me and Donald Trump, that would have worked in January. Well, I don't know if ultimately it would have won. We, I mean, that world is gone. But you can understand that in a thriving economy that Donald Trump would have said, uh, you know, some version of only I can solve. I did this. It was nobody else. You know, people would have to kind of begrudgingly like, hey, man, my my bank account is pretty full. Things are pretty good. I don't mm -hmm. like the guy. But it, that's not going to work now. It, there has got to be the appropriate context to the times we live in, the enemies that are, in fact, on the gate. And 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 the the alternative to me right now. It, 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 they don't they don't have a different answer to solving the problem they are the problem they are the usurpers the revolutionaries steve yesterday what's the term you uh ultimately called uh, uh the people doing this i mean the insurgents insurgents mm -hmm. yes that's what they are so it was clear talking to aaron that it was important for him to feel that voting for donald trump was an empowering act because Trump, the, the Trump's willingness to, to practice a level of self-awareness indicated that he was willing to vie for Aaron's vote and meet Aaron as a voter where he's at, rather than just the assumption you have to vote for me or you're a terrible American, a fake Christian, those kinds of arguments we've mm -hmm. had amongst ourselves for years, right? What I hear from you, and if I'm wrong, correct me. What I hear from you is you want to see Donald Trump rise. You see, you see this as a moment 
a unique, significant moment in time historically. And you want to see Donald Trump rise to the occasion of that moment. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I, 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 I don't need to be empowered in any way by this thing. If I will still uh, not lose any sleep at night if uh, at the end of the day I don't vote for him. It's, I'm getting much, much closer uh, to voting for him, but I, I, I don't need to be empowered in any way. I, I, I simply need to see with all of his faults that he is in it. Now, whatever lies you could tell yourself in January, he's got to know at the age of 74, looking at what he's seen, that this is about all of the people that have been part of this production so far these last three days. This is for them. If he does not win on their behalf, his story is a failure. No matter how many game show hosts he did, no matter how many buildings he built, he's got to know that by now. So I'm going to start this next round with you, since I started with Aaron before. What would cause you to just turn it off tonight? What would cause you to just roll your eyes and say, I don't know, maybe I'll see if the NBA is playing or not, and just turn it off? What would it be? Well, that's happened to me before, but it's never happened in a speech. Uh, So you find, you, you see that there's two different presentations between press events or his rallies and then formal speeches. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I mean, has he ever just bombed? A formal speech. Well, that, you're the one. I'm, I'm the. I'm the yeah, one. Yeah, that, yeah. You, no, that's well, to you to tell uh, Tell me uh, whether you think I, he has. I, I don't. I don't think he has. Those have been some of his finest moments, and of course, he's not writing them in, in himself. And I doubt he's spending much time with a pen in the margins either. He's he the the bumpers. You know, bumper uh, bowling are pretty well on, and so I I don't expect anything to come from a speech so if if it does happen within a speech wow um it just means that there's one more buffer gone i guess so whatever i can't expect what it is but if this if he can't be insulated in this moment by a speech and trusting that these going with the game that got him this far within these speeches then it's just it's back to this guy he doesn't get what i just said it's, you can't write and you're that would that so if he goes off the cuff, starts riffing, that would that says that that in your mind undercuts all of the ground that's been laid so far this week, and and as you seem to be describing, a distinctly different and more inspirational vision for America than what the DNC yeah. is offering, and so you view Trump kind of inserting his this would be like him inserting yes. his ego and undermining that message, and would that be a signal to you that? He really isn't able to rise to the historical occasion then. I, and I don't, and I know you don't either. I, I don't mind his ego in the appropriate moments. But when you are getting the wins, and not just little wins, but slaughtering them with a certain mode of doing things as he has in this speech, when it's been very much the closest thing to traditional Americana that many people mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. and want. Uh, out of their uh, president and out of their country, it, it, I need to know that he just trusts that. 
It doesn't have to be, it doesn't even need to be that all the time. A lot of us like that he's not all the time, but trusted in these moments, you would just be a fool if if you don't just echo. All you are is now the exclamation point on everything that's been done anymore before. You're not actually the main course. You're, You're not. You are just the... The cleanup hitter? I, I, the, yeah, the, turning they it. The yeah, they loaded the base for you. Okay. Just put the bat on the ball put, tonight. Put, put the ball in play. And, okay. and, well, and if you do, because the bases are loaded and the crowd is going wild, it's the ball's going to carry. Okay. Aaron, same question to you. What would cause you to roll your eyes, flip the channel, and say, I don't know, what, what you know what's on Discovery? I'm Ancient not, aliens. I'm, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be flippant here. I, I really do mean this. Um, ventilators. Honestly, because if we get to talking about <laughs> ventilators, and I'm serious, I know it's funny. It is but if funny, we, and I know you're serious. That's we, why it's funny. Yeah, if we get to the point where we're talking about ventilators, we're going back to March. Okay. Uh, the, 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 ventilators if we, mount up. If, if we're if we're talking about ventilators, it's probably going to be surrounded by. Uh, talk about how how this was just an amazing coronavirus task force and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are amazing people and I followed their advice. Um, like, I don't want to... This is Aaron talking now. I'm not trying to put my shoes into the, the run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, checked boxes that you described at the beginning of the segment. If we're talking about that, like, you can t- talk about the virus if you want to, but everything has to be forward-looking and how we're going to rebuild this and, tomorrow, you know, this is going to be the best uh, economy that we've ever... Nothing about the response to this because it's been bungled. It's been from... And we say that's been bungled from a different perspective than I think the majority of the media and the majority mm-hmm. of people on Twitter think it's been bungled. They think that Donald Trump is responsible for every last 160,000 million... De- what what have you. We think it's been bungled a different way. But if we're talking... If, if ventilators or we get into the nitty-gritty of how great my response to coronavirus was, you're hitting the, you're, you're, you're hitting the reverse boosters. You're hitting the reverse thrust, thrusters. You're going backwards. I want to hear how we're America and we're getting out of this um, when it when it comes to this virus and not about how many ventilators we built or how great the response was, because if I'm if I'm the average person, um, you know, I, I may not have a job. I, I want to know that there's hope for the future and not be reminded about how this year was. We got about two minutes here. So a minute for both of you. How do you want to feel or what do you want to think when this speech is over tonight? What do you want to be left with, Todd? You know, well, something new. I would really like to him to hear from something from him that is a truly human story that drives, legitimately drives him and why he does this, why he's done everything in his life that makes people say, that's... I'm in on that. Uh, he's he's he doesn't have very many good personal anecdotes that are not about bravado. He needs to have a good one tonight. That's just about hey man, I'm you, you're me. We're in this together. Something like that. Aaron, when this is over, what do you want your takeaway to be? How do you want to think, or what do you want to think? How do you want to feel, etc. I, I want to feel like I have permission to be optimistic. Because this year, no matter where you turn, no matter uh, no matter where you are, I think the average the average human, the common man, has not felt like it's okay to be optimistic. 
Because as soon as you felt optimistic about getting out of the virus in June, you were a racist. As soon as you thought the riots were, were over, we're back to the second wave. As soon as the second wave is over, Kenosha is on fire and you're a racist again. I want to feel like it's okay, like I have permission to be optimistic. You know, of course, of course, at my core, we all do. We're not allowed to be inherently pessimistic. But in, in terms of the civic arena, I want to feel like it's okay to be optimistic about, about the future again. Okay. 30 seconds. You guys have any final things you want to say before we wrap up the focus group? Well, MAGA's doesn't have to be dead, um, but if it is end up dying, Donald Trump, and no one's more responsible for killing it than you are. So realize what you did the last three nights and take it home. Aaron? It's, it's his campaign. Um, make America great or keep America great, whatever. You, it has to strike and invoke greatness some way or another. Pride, greatness. Come back and play three non-political questions next. You need to make sure you've got a real estate agent you can trust in any economic environment. If you're going to go into a real estate market, this can be one of the most stressful things you'll ever do in your life, buying or selling a home, especially if you're buying and selling a home at the exact same time. And and even ordinary circumstances, you need a real estate agent that you can trust. But that's especially the case right now, given the, get ready to take a drink, unprecedented times in which we live. Now, where would said agent be found? Because it's not like if you go, you know, on the local realtor website, they're going to say, not good at this. Not going to put that on their site, guys. Not going to, not going to admit their biggest blunder was in your neighborhood, like I did last hour on this show. Okay. They're not going to do stuff like that. So who's going to do the vetting for you? Well, the name kind of says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's what they do. They vet agents who, by the way, want to be vetted. Because they think they've got the track record that stands up to scrutiny and they want to be recognized nationally and recommended no matter where you live as an agent that you can trust. You can find that agent right now on this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Oh yeah, I set this one up. My bad. It's all for you, Damien. I'm just trying to hang you out to dry again. My bad. Luckily, you didn't catch me picking my nose that time, so that's good. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Although, Three yeah, no, it's not. I'm not picking my nose. I'm I'm pulling hair out of my nose because yeah. I'm that age now. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and and you know when we get you know ten minutes into a movie on a Friday night at ten thirty, I'm not uh, I'm not uh, sleeping. I'm inspecting the inside of my eyelids. Uh, question number one: Who's on your Mount Rushmore of the most badass movies or uh, television characters in history? Uh, John Locke, definitely. Uh, Darth Vader, definitely. 
Indiana Jones, definitely. And then it's, I always get to the fourth one, right? Because there's like 70 names or, 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 or things that I'm like, oh, that should really be on the list. I'm like Dick Vitale on Selection Sunday on ESPN every March, except this last one. <laughs> you know, I've got uh, every team, with, they ought to be in, baby. He's got 20 teams in. Well, they can only have 68, so somebody's got to go. He never, t- every year he doesn't tell us who shouldn't be in. He just tells us who should be. Well, then who should go? You know, um, like it's the same thing with there should be more minority sports coaches. Okay, I don't disagree, given the amount of players who are minorities. But then you got to tell me which which wretched whitey are we going to fire, right? And most of the time, you can start with my team, the Detroit Lions. To be honest, we're like the only team in NFL history that's never fired a coach and had him go on to become a coach anywhere else. It's never happened. It's never happened before. Think about that, ever. But I get stuck on this last one. So Indiana Jones, Darth Vader, and John Locke. Alex B. Keaton. That's where I'm going. Because in my formative years growing up, I was APK all the way. So I'm going Alex B. Keaton, John Locke, Darth Vader, Indiana Jones. I mean, I could put like Superman and stuff on there, but he's more than a movie. I mean, that, that he, he's more than that. Like he's been translated to movies. I'm, I'm thinking of people that were specifically created for the screen or for the television set. Yeah. So I'm okay. going with those four. Those guidelines. Yeah. Okay. I've got uh, John McClane, Nakatomi Plaza. Good one. See, I could do that too. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm doing Captain America because uh, I wouldn't have done until they went there with the hammer. He's worthy. I just, it, it was I get it. character yep. perfection. I mean, people stood up and applauded oh, yeah. the first time we saw Endgame when he picked up the hammer. I mean, people stood up in the theater and applauded. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, 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 it's so powerful that it's like the, the second time it happens and he just assemble. Oh my goodness. Uh, it, it's still, I, I hope no matter how old I am in this life, that that still is as powerful as, I mean, it's, that was right up there in as much as you can be a 47 year old man and experience it. It's, it's the empire strikes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, um, uh, Lando, Opens the doors and Darth Vader's standing there. I still remember that feeling. Han yeah. Solo sh- shoots, starts shooting, pulls yep. the gun out. Yeah, blew my mind. So that was that. Um, Jimmy Chitwood, Hoosiers. I'll That's make another it. Good call. That's another good and call. And I, I play Coach yeah. Days. Oh, yeah. oh, All right. Man. That's another classic. You bet. Yeah. And right now, I've told you about the show uh, Yellowstone. Rip from Yellowstone. It, if you're watching it, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, uh, this show is getting some like huge buzz right now. I don't know anything about it. Never seen an episode. Is it something I would like? I'll take that as a no. Okay. No, no, then no, I don't have to worry no, about no. It. It's, right. I think if you, you would like it. It's got it, Sawyer from Lost on it. I know that, right? Just here in the third season. It just and came on? Okay. All right. I think you would find some of it too slow when they're developing Tedious. the characters. Okay. But it, it, here, it's... But you like... It's, it's basically... The Godfather. Okay. In in the old the, west? In, no, in the current, oh, the current west. west. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, it's uh, so two heroes, two villi- villains. It's also Captain America. I, I don't know how Thanos is not on the list as well. I mean, come on. He's the mad titan. Uh, that's fine too. Yeah. Um, let's see. And then he's as your far generation's as, Darth Vader. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Albus Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Nice. Uh, and uh, Gus Fring 
as well. So two heroes, two villains. I was I was wondering how you were going to mix in a Harry Potter take on that one. Mm -hmm. So all right, there you go. Thank Uh, you for uh, shilling for witchcraft again on our show. Oh yes, Uh, send your emails to Steve at stevedays.com. He'll forward them on to me for me. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, Question number two: What's the most poignant sports-related memory you have? And it can be something involving you personally, or just something of one of your favorite sports teams. I'm going to let you take this one first because I I'm going to have to think about it to really narrow it down. So I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead, Todd. Oof, the most poignant sports memory I have. Uh, listen, I th- I, I'll go with my two, two of my daughters, my oldest daughters, uh, because they both happen to have uh, header goals in state cup championships. And uh, my second daughter, it, the, her first one is girls, you know, it's, you want to see the difference between boys and girls soccer, the lack of willingness for girls to go up, you know, and head the ball. It's mm-hmm. just, they, it, we're, we're different animals. And, uh, in a, the, the game that they won the state championship, it was one, nothing. And the goal was my daughter heading the ball. In, and I just asked her you know, what, and she was only 13 at the time, maybe 12. And she said, you know, I thought about all uh, it, it went through my head. Like if, if this, if I don't head this, my coach, what she's going to say to me and her coach is a, a, a female who's not like fire and brimstone, but just about teaching about toughness in the moment, not letting that moment go by. And she said, she just said, I, I know I have to do this. So when you realize that, you know, somebody that you brought into the earth, instead of being brought to their, you know, heaven knees buckle at the moment, you know, found the guts. That's a good day as a dad. I, I've got three that came to mind for me. Um, when I was 12, um, I played for Moose Lodge. Uh, that was the sponsor of our team uh, for Pinery Park Little League in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we were in the championship series. And the game before, I was playing first base. Game before, a guy was running on the base, stepped on my foot, and I turned my ankle really bad, had to get carried off the field, didn't think I could possibly play. And I was our team's best hitter that year. And a few days later, I came back two days later for the final game. And I mean, I'm hopping around really bad. Found out like six months later, I actually had a small fracture on my foot. I just thought I'd turn my ankle. Were you the Kirk Gibson story in Michigan hit, before and, the Kirk Gibson story? And the story? only home run I ever hit in my entire I was your classic, like, you know, really good hitter, but a gap hitter. I didn't hit for a lot of power. The only home run I ever hit in my life was in that championship game when I was 12. So that was kind of cool. Coaching, uh, as a coaching my son's flag football team one year, and there was a young man on our team that I could tell had just not been challenged enough as a young man. He had been allowed too much to skate, basically. He had not been called to step up in a masculine way and lead. He had, a, he had strongest arm on the team, one of the bigger kids for his age. So of course, the other kids looked up to him, but he was just kind of, he was just kind of allowed with getting away with stuff. And I didn't let them do that. I didn't let him do it on my team, but I disciplined him in a different way. Meaning I, I put him in a situation where he had to assert his potential. Like I didn't like get on him or corner him or try to break him. Instead, I I I put him in. I threw him in the water basically and said, "Hey, you're. I know you can swim. You're going to do it." And I made him the quarterback of the team. And it was rough for a while, but by the end of the year, he was really good. And his mom, I remember, came up to me at the end of the year, 
and said, really saw a lot of growth in my son by you playing him at quarterback, just off the field even. And that was kind of poignant, you know, because originally I just did it because I thought it'd be fun to coach my own kid and it might be the only chance I ever had to do that, but that was cool too. And then for me as a fan, 1998 Rose Bowl, so many Michigan seasons had ended in crushing, bitter, you know, gut-wrenching, Jimmy kicking, uh, soulless disappointment in, in Pasadena. And to finally, I remember I was almost relieved, like even more than elated, to go to to win it all, win the national championship, win the Rose Bowl, and then that post game with Brian and Bob Greasy. I mean, I remember, I still remember the call almost verbatim. Um, here's the Rose Bowl MVP. I know who it is. Do you want to know who it is? He says to Bob Greasy, "I'm standing next to his proud papa," and that's how Bob Greasy, who himself once was the MVP of the Rose Bowl. Found out that his son, Brian Greasy, was the MVP of the Rose Bowl. So, one for me, growing up playing, coaching, and then as a fan. Very nice. Uh, for me, it, it's a couple of things. One, I was reminded about uh, of it the other day because, well, one, I like don't throw away t-shirts like ever. I put on a shirt that I typically wore as my game undershirt, it's just spandex. It's the, the sweat wicking stuff. I typically wore that for all my high school football games, and now that's been like over a decade ago. But I put it on the other day, and it's still got a little bit of a, of a tinge of the way it smelled back then as well Hmm. and immediately like the butterflies start getting up in my stomach like it's we're about to go onto the field for warm-ups go out to acdc and just the it it immediately transports me back to pre-game warm-ups before college or before a high school football uh but i think the one that stands out to me the most i think i've told this story before but i was one of the you know i was still one of the smaller guys my sophomore year uh, in high school and uh, during one day in practice, I was still big enough that I knew if I sacrificed my body and I hit this big guy just right, that I could knock him on his butt. And I knew that it was going to hurt me, uh, but I really, really wanted to do it. And I, I went out there and I did it. It was a crackback block when those were still legal. Mm-hmm. And uh, guy is probably um, 100 pounds heavier than I am, much more muscular than I am. One of the bigger guys on the team. And, uh, and I, I, my golly, I knocked him on his butt, cleared out my sinuses. Uh, it hurt. (laughs) I think I gave myself a minor concussion doing it, but, uh, my coach was very, very happy. And every time he sees me, he still reminds me of that. All right. For a final question brought to you by rough greens, Vita smart. Hey, don't mock my little B Sean. Our little B Sean cap is adorable. By the way, I didn't pick him out. All right. He was a, he was a gift for a little girl. All right. So, Hey. If, if, if it was up to me, I'd have picked a far more manlier dog, like a Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> That's what we had growing up. I loved those dogs. All right. But I put up a picture of Cap yesterday for National Dog Day. My balls got busted all over Twitter. That's not the manliest dog days. Well, it was a little Zoe's birthday present eight years ago, man. So step off. All right. But Cap does love him. Some Rough Greens Vita Smart. It's a powder that you pour on your dog's food so that all the good stuff they take out of your pet's food these days, the antioxidants, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc., goes all back in and apparently it makes the dog's food taste even better. At least that's what our dog Cap would say if he were here because he eats his food a lot faster when it's mixed with the Rough Greens than when it's not. If you want to see if your dog can thrive like our dog Cap, short for Captain America, by the way, if you want to see if your dog can thrive like our dog Cap in 14 days or less, try the 
the Jumpstart Challenge for just $14.95 when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F, R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, final one, Aaron. All right, what's one thing that you enjoy that you could do without for the rest of your life? That I enjoy that I could do without for the rest of my life. Um, I guess I'll go with <clears throat> another um, EA Sports College football game because I've had to go without one now for, what is it going on, seven years, Aaron, right? 2013? Yeah. Was the last new release. So, I mean, that's almost one-seventh of my life. So I guess if I've gone, and I, and I didn't start playing the game until the late 90s, so I guess, you know, I love that game. I mean, I, I mean, I love that game, but I've had to go without it for the last seven years. So I guess if they never make another one, which they eventually will, but if I, they never make another one, I'll, I'll get by without it. So I'll go with EA Sports and say football. Well, I've talked about it's in some ways it's um, football on, on TV just because of my I, I don't get to sit down and watch much of it until the middle of November when a lot of the uh, girl stuff is, is uh, quieted down and it's as sports have come back. You know, I was I wasn't an NBA fan anyways, um, still watching, sitting down and watching some baseball when I have a chance. But, you know, with what's happening here. You know the Brewers even followed the Bucks lead yesterday and decided to suspend. You know, I I love baseball through and through, but I, I'm not going to miss it if you guys just insist on being this stupid. I'm not. I think for me, it's pop. I enjoy pop when I have it, but it's not like my. It's not something that I just need need to get by. Uh, it's it's a very simple pleasure, something that I enjoy yeah. when I have it, but I. See, I think I, I could do without it. I thought I was going to miss Coke Zero, Cherry Coke Zero, Diet Dr. Pepper. There's a caffeine-free vis- version, but our Walmart doesn't sell it anymore. I thought I was going to miss all that stuff quite a bit, but I haven't missed it nearly as hmm. much as I thought I was going to since last April 26th. So I asked this question in my head, like coffee or beer? Like which one? Uh, that's. I'm going to probably go neither. It depends on the time of day. <laughs> nice. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.